start there. Um, let me just give a, a thank you to your pastor and his wife for inviting me, and really the church. I don't know how much you had to say about it, but I thoroughly have enjoyed being here. Uh, I grew up uh, Navy brat. Uh, Dad uh, was career Navy. And when I was 11, uh, the Navy sent him, my mom, and uh, two sisters from Norfolk to Moffett Field uh, near San Jose. So I grew up in San Jose before it was Silicon Valley, before it became a third world country. Uh, I came up with my wife yesterday, and we'll leave tonight and drive back down. Uh, I'd been through Nevada before my travels from Bible college to get home, but uh, I have been very moved by the things that Pastor Lynn has shared with me about this part of America, um, which is very different. Your culture's different. Your weather's different. Uh, I think I would like the weather here very much. Uh, California has uh, become a mission field, but so is Nevada. Uh, I have learned so much in the last <clears throat> day from your pastor, and I will say a couple things, and I hope I don't sound like I know everything. I don't know much of anything. But in the South, where I've been now 20, uh, 30 years, <clears throat> um, they have issues in the South that are very different than you'll ever have in Nevada. I told Pastor Lim about 10, 12 years ago, Lifeway, which is a Southern Baptist, uh, they kind of uh, keep track of trends. About 12 years ago, they informed the Southern states of the number of Baptist churches. And uh, I don't remember South Carolina or Tennessee or Georgia, but I do remember North Carolina. That's where ambassadors, that's where I've lived with my family. <clears throat> now, they've lost a lot of churches since then. They said all the Baptist churches combined, that's Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Missionary Baptist, and Free Will Baptist. Free Will Baptist headquarters is in North Carolina. If you take all those Baptist churches, there's 17,000 just in the state of North Carolina. I know you Nevada people are going, wow. I don't believe that was ever God's intention. I will tell you, now having done ministry 40 years, most of them are splits. There's something about Baptists. They multiply by dividing. So I come here, and just in 24 hours, as I hear the burden of the lens, they tell me the history of what God's doing here. And by the way, you that have been with Pastor Lynn for a while, it, this hasn't been easy. Do you think the devil's going to let you guys get away with having a, a ministry and a building? He knows what you're trying to do. You're trying to share Christ, the gospel, salvation, with the culture that has been without the gospel by and large. So it, it humbles me to stand here I want to encourage you, keep doing, church, what you're doing. Don't change what you're doing. The devil's going to tempt your pastor, although he's getting he's almost my age, and when you get to be our age, we're, we're a little more stubborn, thank the Lord. But Fernley sounds like it's going to grow and continue to grow, and it needs this church. It needs to hear Christ. It needs to hear about how to have a Christian home. It needs to know how to disciple God's people. All of you are pretty much a result of this ministry. So throw, go all in. 
support your pastor. Can I say this? And it's not meant to talk down at all. But uh, uh, there are thousands of churches in the in the South that would give anything to have this couple to be their pastor. I don't say that to threaten you. He's not going anywhere. He's just crazy enough to stay here. But I tell you, uh, my heart was stirred when he talked about the need in Nevada. I forgot to ask him about the Mormon influence. And here I teach on Mormonism. And literally, we got in the van to come here. And he and Melanie were sharing the Mormon influence. I forgot about that in Nevada. Those dear people need to hear the simple plan of salvation. Because Mormons get saved. They get saved. We're all lost people that have been saved. Oh, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'll never forget my visit. And I will be praying for your ministry. And maybe if I don't blow it, he'll invite me back. I do want to speak about... Can I get that water, Pastor? One thing about your mountain air, it dries me out. Um, When I go home... Uh, called my son back in North Carolina. It's 100 with heat index, uh, you know, the humidity, 95, 100 heat index. I'm going to miss you guys. Uh, we'll get off our plane in Charlotte and go, oh, but uh, it's home. Besides teaching, um, since I, in 93, I taught in Florida five years before we got to North Carolina. Um, there was a strange side ministry. I didn't. I missed pastoring. We were church planters, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And when God began to push me and pull me to Bible college teaching, I didn't want to do it. I was very young. And I remember saying to my wife, you know, I don't know what's wrong. We, you know, we've been in church planning. Why would God want me to teach? My vision of a teacher was my Bible college teachers, ancient. In their 50s and 60s, you know. But you know, uh, and I really struggled. The first six months as a Bible college teacher, I struggled. And then God did something I never realized. I never knew I would do it. He, uh, I was the youngest faculty member at Trinity Baptist College. And the old faculty, you know, the church would get calls. Our pastor died or, our, you know, we need someone to preach Sunday. Well, none of the old faculty really could do it. So they began to ask me. I said, sure, I'll go. Well, that opened a door I never thought of, helping churches nearby that are without a pastor. And so all those years, I've been even at Ambassador, I'll take a weekend and I'll drive. Now, I usually don't, I try not to go more than three and a half hours because that means I leave on Saturday, spend Saturday night, and then Sunday night, I have to drive home, get up at 4.30 to teach. And I just, a year ago, I've been one year without a church. That In 30 years, I've only had twice that I went a year without a church. It's been nonstop. And I have, I found, I finally realized God allowed me to continue having a pastor's heart by going to wounded, damaged churches that needed a pastor. But they also needed a little healing. And so uh, last year, June, I finished uh, Freedom Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, it turned out great. It wasn't good when I walked in. It really is always pretty bad. But I told Pastor Lynn, the reason I love doing it is because I know God's going to do a miracle. I'm not smart enough to fix the problem. I just know the one who will. And that was Church 57. 
when I get back, there's the 58th church. They called me before I left. And I've been saying, now, Lord, I don't want to call churches. I know they need help. You find them. Well, I'm going to go visit a church in Greenwood, South Carolina, and see if they want me and, and we can help. I love doing that. You know why? Because it's easy in Bible colleges. If There, there are too many men that become uh, career accommodations. And to be honest, their heart gets kind of dried up and cold. They know the facts, but they don't relate anymore. Well, God's made sure that my heart stays broken about churches. So I love meeting new churches and seeing the vision, the potential. It's just made me a better teacher. And my goal, if God doesn't change my, my life, I'd like to stay teaching as long as God will give me strength. Uh, now I want to talk about something that isn't really talked about much anymore. And it's not because pastors don't believe it. But God really burdened my heart. I have a message tonight. I hope you'll be back. I want to share with you uh, how we're supposed to be reacting to the COVID. Uh, I was going through, uh, Paul's my hero, the apostle. And I found a passage that God just, and it was when COVID started. We all got locked down. God gave me a message right from Philippians. And I went, wow, Paul, I can't believe you wrote that. And it fits perfectly for us in America. So you come back tonight and I'll show you what Paul said he had to learn when he was locked down. It'll be an encouragement to you, I promise. This morning, it's meant to be an encouragement, but if you're saved today, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you're saved today, you and I are going to face this time in our life. I'm a teacher. All the schools are getting done. We've taken finals, and God showed me when I was going, Corinthians is my favorite, they're my favorite books. It occurred to me that we will, and most of you, if you've been saved a while, you've been taught and you've been reading about the future, okay? The next great event for us who are saved is the rapture. God will come and he will take those in Christ away because the great tribulation will begin. The Bible is very clear that Christ will not let us be here for the wrath of God during those seven years. Well, during that seven-year period on earth, I believe the event we're going to look at, each one of us is going to take what I call the final exam. And so the title of my message is Every Believer's Final Exam. I want to be very careful. I don't want to be technical. I don't think this is deep. But I want to remind all the men and women and the young people here that are saved, you will stand before Jesus all alone. It's just you and He. And He will examine your Christian life. Thank God, not your sin. Because Jesus Christ took your sin. When He bore it on the cross, rose from the dead, your sin is gone. Now I'll take a amen. amen. I knew Nevada people could say amen. But I do want to, and this isn't meant to be a threat, but it's a somber reminder to me that every one of us will stand before Christ. So let's start by looking at 2 Corinthians 5.10. The Bible says, this is 2 Corinthians 5.10. Then we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians and stay there for the rest of the message. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Father, I know this message that you put in my heart is for your children. 
But Lord, if anyone would sit here without Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, they need to be saved. Help me to be clear, though, for your children. I know you've written the Word of God to be understood, and I pray that God the Spirit would open our hearts, teach us, and convict us, we pray. And we do this in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You see, this verse reminds us that every born-again person, at some point in their future, will stand one-on-one with Jesus. Notice here, Paul makes it very clear. What we're going to talk about, you and Jesus, me and Jesus, Jesus Christ is going to talk to us and He's going to examine what we did not before we were saved, but what we did when we were saved. You remember, uh, we'll not turn there, but turn now to 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul reminds us, as the Bible does many times, that when we were saved, Christ bought us. We are owned by Him. And Paul says, Because we've been bought with a price, we are to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. Now, I'm not saying anything you don't understand. The problem isn't what we don't know. It's that we forget. And I'm here to remind you from this day till you see Christ, either in death and you wake up with the Lord or the rapture. I want to remind you again, please listen. This includes me. We are all going to have a private time with our Lord. It's probably going to be after the rapture when all those in Christ are in heaven with Him together. You say, man, how long will that take? Remember, time is irrelevant. Thank the Lord, time doesn't hurt us anymore. We're not aged anymore. But we're going to have to spend this time with our Lord. Now look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Are you with me? Listen, it says every man's work. Now that's man or woman. Every believer, in other words, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So I want you to see number one. I just have three simple thoughts. Number one, every believer is going to take this exam. Number two. We're all going to be examined the same way. And number three, we're all going to get a final grave. One preacher wrote it this way. Salvation is a matter of God's work for man. In contrast, eternal rewards are a matter of man's work for God. When it comes to salvation, man's work for God is no substitute for God's work for man. God saves us for Christ's work, not ours. Likewise, when it comes to rewards, God's work for man is no substitute for man's work for God. God rewards us for our work, not Christ's. Belief or faith determines our eternal destination, where we will be. Behavior determines our eternal rewards, what we will have. Works do not affect our redemption. Works do affect our rewards. Just as there are eternal consequences to our faith, there will be eternal consequences to our work. Listen, for many years now, God has um, awakened me to this thought. Joel, you're going through life, and I've been saved since I was eight. Thank God for my godly mom. I'm 63. That's kind of a long time. 
And boy, just these last years, God said, boy, you're just plodding along, doing ministry, having a great time watching me do great things. And But Joel, be careful. Because one day, it won't matter what men said about you. It won't matter what you think about you. You and I are going to have a one-on-one. Now, folks, can I tell you, the first verse we looked at, 2 Corinthians 5.10, the very next verse, Paul says, He was terrified. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord. Now, what he means is, because I have such an intimate knowledge of the awesomeness of who God is, he said, I'm persuading men. I'm going to do the ministry God called me. Every saved person in this room, doesn't matter when you got saved or your background before you got saved. When God saved you, he's got plans for you. Listen, this is Bible truth, and I don't have time. Everyone that's saved is in ministry. Now, you're not doing all the same thing. There's only one pastor. But believe me, a good pastor wants his people to take charge of the ministry. In Ephesians 4, Paul said he gave pastors, evangelists, and pastors to teach God's people to do the work of the ministry. Whether you realize it or not, and again, I'm not threatening you, Every one of you is going to stand before Jesus one day. He's not going to talk about your sin. Praise the Lord. That's that's under the blood. But he's going to say, listen, I want to talk about what you chose to do or not do. Because when I saved you, I bought you. I had such great plans for you. Now, look, don't get discouraged and say, I've been saved a long time. Brother Spencer, I'm a little bit ashamed already what I haven't done. Don't worry about that. But listen, from this day forward... Say, Lord, I heard it clear that day in church. And by your grace, I don't want a day to go by that I don't acknowledge I'm alive today for you. And I will do whatever you show me I need to do. Now, I'm not saying make that vow in front of me, but in your heart, say, Lord, Brother Spencer can show me in the Word of God. I want your grace. Doesn't matter if you're an old person. Now, when I was in college, old people were 63. 80-year-old people don't seem that old to me anymore. It doesn't matter how old you are. Redeem the time. Number one, every believer is going to take this exam. Listen, this verse, verse 13 here in 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that. Back in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul said we must all appear. In Romans 14, the only other passage that talks about the Bema Seat judgment or the judgment seat, don't turn there, but let me quote you part of Romans 14. Paul says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You see, in this exam that you and I will take, there are no exemptions. When Brother Rick, uh, Pastor Lim, was in college, our college, and a lot of schools do this, like if you had an A average in class. I had this opportunity in Hebrews general epistles, but I don't know if you made it. If you have an A average at the end of the semester, I don't often make the student who has an A. They don't have to take the final. All right, other students, did you ever get that? Okay. <laughs> it was, if, if you're a graduating senior, that last semester, it's up to the faculty, they can allow them not to take the final because they've been there four years and And some students audit the class. You guys know what an audit is? You can sit. You don't have to come. You don't have to do any work. All right, let me say something. When you and I are going to stand before Christ, 
There are no exemptions. No one, well, Lord, look, I was a Baptist preacher. I was a Baptist church planter. I was a college professor. No, no exemptions. No one's going to say, Lord, I, I got saved. Look, uh, Lord, I'm glad I'm with you, but I just got saved six months ago. No, don't I get an out, an audit? No, we'll all stand. And even if you only had six months, the Lord's going to say, let's look at your six months. Now, hang on with me. Number one, we're all going to take this exam. Number two, we will all be graded the same way. This is where God really got to my attention. There are three thoughts I want to show you in 1 Corinthians 3. First of all, notice Paul said, every man's work shall be made manifest, notice, because it shall be revealed. Every When you stand before Christ, He is going to show you Everything you've done for Christ. In fact, as I now have been in ministry 40 years with my wife, Pastor, honestly, I've forgotten, which is a scary thought, really. Folks, listen, if you're saved, the Lord's going to take your Christian life and He's going to make it manifest. The word that means He's going to make it crystal clear. The word revealed, from which we get revelation from, He's going to uncover it. In other words, when you stand before Christ, by the way, this is not a comforting thought, but I want it to be because in my life, I look at, well, I've been saved since saved, but 40 years in ministry, let's call it, professional ministry, if you want to call it that, I can't remember everything I've done. But I know this, there's enough there, it's going to be categorized, and we're going to see that. Number one, we're all going to stand, and Jesus and you, you may be saved a long time, and you may have been involved in so many different church ministries and faithful, and God's going to say, all right, here's the whole thing. Now, you're not going to go, well, I don't remember that. No, it's going to be made clear to your mind and heart. You with me? Notice the second way. We're all going to be examined the same way. Our works are going to be tried. Look at the end of verse 13. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. God's not going to take white people, Christians, and say, oh, you're American. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to be harder on you or less hard. No, all believers for all time from every tribe and nation are going to stand before Christ individually. And Christ is going to try or test our Christian life. Notice he says, by fire. I always wonder, why fire? You realize, and again, I'm just going to give you some thoughts. Fire has always been a consistent way God has judged things. For instance, fire is often the symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifice were to be consumed by what? Right. God's word, Jeremiah says, is like a fire. The influence and appearance of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was by fire. And so God says, when you stand before me, I'm going to judge your Christian life and your works by fire. The third thought under the fact that we're all going to be examined the same way, not only will God make everyone quietly, just me and him, just you and him, you're not going to say, Lord, I don't remember that. No, you're going to remember it on that day. Number two, he's going to try all of us with fire. But number three, he's going to take your Christian life and he's going to categorize it. Paul says it this way, every man's work of what sort it is. In other words, God's going to sort your works. Well, into what? 
Well, go back up to verse 11. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. There it is. God is telling us, Now, one day I'm going to take your Christian life. I'm going to try it. I'm not going to read the articles written about you. I'm not going to listen to what preachers thought about you. I'm not going to. It's just me and you. And I am going to test your Christian life. When I'm done, it's going to either remain, verse 14, or it's going to be burned up. So God calls it gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul said, God's going to say either the works we have remaining are good or bad. Here, Paul says in verse 14, If any man's work abide or remain, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's works shall be burned. Now, are you guys looking at verse 15 with me? Can I tell you something that shocked me? I've been a preacher for years. I didn't know this. The word burn means burned up. There's not even ashes left. If that's going to be your Christian life, you shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, Paul said, at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to lose your salvation. But listen to me. That may be all you have. Brethren, what happens to gold, silver, precious stone when they're put fire, put to the fire? What happens to those? What happens to gold, silver, precious stone when they're put to fire? They're purified. You want to know how you can go from 14 karat gold to 20 karat gold? You burn it. Diamonds are more brilliant when they're burned. So apparently God's telling us something. When I take your Christian life, and I, t I test it by my heart and command, He said, if you have some good works, glory-worthy works, things that I was pleased with, oh, they'll be obvious and brilliant. But He said, but if you have nothing but wood, hay, stubble, it's gone. Pastor, I think, there's going to be a lot of surprised preachers. You know, they thought they were so great. They told people they were great. But then when they stand before Jesus Christ, they're not great. He is. We're all going to take this exam. It could begin soon. Number two, we're all going to be examined the same way. But number three, we'll all receive a final grade. Now, it's interesting. Paul is being very clear. There's no believer gets out of this. Okay? Uh, the Lord's not going to say, well, I'm giving out participation trophies today. No. Paul says again, some believers' work, in verse 14, will remain. That'll be... Gold, silver, precious stone. Good things. They shall receive a reward. But notice in the next verse, the believers who stand there and their Christian life, their Christianity, was wood, hay, stubble. It's going to be gone. Yes, they'll be saved. 
And maybe this is the first time many of you have ever heard this. If it is, it's time you hear it. You'll be saved, but you'll be ashamed. Because I'm going to tell you, the first, the first 60 seconds, maybe seconds, you wake up in heaven, and you see what I'm going to see, we're going to see, oh, how we're going to say, and we're all going to say this, I did not love him the way I should have looked at this. I'm finally home. I'm at peace. And when you stand with him who died for you, you're going to say, Lord, I'm ashamed. Listen, Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If Brother Paul would feel that desire to please his Savior so much, why shouldn't we be living every day? Lord, I just help me. Help me to be a good Christian. Listen, without the Holy Ghost, no one in this room, especially this preacher, has any hope of gold, silver, precious stone. But with the Lord's help, we all in this room can do glory-worthy things. How do we know the difference? See, for years I used to read that list. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hand, stubble. Oh my. Why does God put them together? It's because without God's help, we can live many years of our life doing worthless things. But with God's help, maybe even this message today will be the beginning of a help to you. I've got to know the mind of Christ so I can discern what is gold, silver, precious stone, and what is a waste of my life and time. Because, guys, we live in a busy society, and now with phones, it's not just young people that struggle with this. Some of you adults that are addicted to your phones, do you realize we can spend hours and hours and hours every day if you really think of, now you're looking you're looking mean at me right now. I'm leaving tonight, so you just go ahead. Can I tell you Bible college students, the younger generation, they're addicted. They're addicted. I'm using the word addicted in the correct medical. They're addicted. The average American teen spends 8 to 10 hours a day. Well, let me tell you, Bible college students, and I teach some great men and women, holy men, they're spending way too much time. Now look, some of you old folks, I, you like your phone too. Listen, we need to be careful. Have you ever thought about this? You stand before Jesus. You know how much your phone's going to mean? Nothing. Amen. Nothing to you. Oh, well, we won't have Facebook in heaven. Really? You don't need Facebook. You're in glory. You've got a glorified body and mind. And listen, we're going to be ashamed when we see what we're waiting for us. Well, you're going to have to say to the Lord, you know, Lord, I never really even touched my Bible. I really didn't listen to you every day in my life. Even when I was going through a really bad time, I'd go to my phone and talk to my friends. I'm sorry, Lord. It's not that the Lord... Did. Throw your phone away. That's not what I'm preaching today. I'm saying when we stand before Christ. I'm not a tech guy. I grew, here I grew up in Silicon Valley when it wasn't. So I came home from my first year at Bible College in Wisconsin. My Navy dad would say, Son, 
Do you know, he was retired by then, do you know there are guys your age that are multimillionaires here in San Jose now? And I heard, I'd start watching the news when I go home, Silicon Valley, what's that? That's literally how I grew up. I am not a techie guy. And I'm sort of thankful because I do, I, and I'm not bragging, I have a phone, I don't like it. I literally will look at because I have to, I get an oh, email, okay. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. You understand my heart. I may never see you again until we see each other in heaven. I'm not your judge. Your Savior will be. I'm just asking you as a brother in Christ because let me tell you, I'm not perfect and I waste life. I miss opportunities every day. If I lived in Fernley and I knew what I've been learning from your pastor about how many lost people and the culture that's here, they need to hear Christ. Do you know I've done the same thing you have? I've walked by someone and been talking, you know, there's, and I never say a thing about Christ. I don't even have them in a track. Let me tell you, I've walked away and the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? It only took 10 seconds. You could have handed them a smile and a track. I've lived that way. I know what I'm going to face somewhat, but when God makes it clear, I don't want to stand there and say, you know that phone? I could say something funny because the students get on me for it, but when I got my first smartphone, I didn't even know there was the great gulf between the iPhone users and the Android users. And one day I asked a class. They went at each other. So our tech guy on the college said, I went to him, Brother Chris, am I supposed to use an iPhone, which I don't really want, but I have to get one, or an Android? And he smiled and he said, Brother Spencer, they make iPhones for people like you. So I recommend... (laughs) I don't know what that means, but I got an iPhone. All right. (laughs) Guys, let me tell you, and I'm I'm done. When we stand before our Savior, we're all going to take a final exam. Number two, The Lord's going to examine us the same way, and He's revealed it in these Scriptures. You don't get another way. Number three, we're all going to get a final exam. Imagine the shame for some who will stand before their Savior with no glory to give back to Him. This shame will not be silent. For Paul says in Romans 14, listen to this, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let me just explain that phrase, give account. It comes from a word, logos. You know what it means? It means when you take this final exam, before the Lord gives you your final grade, you have to talk to Him. See, you're not going to be able to stand there and put your head down like this. You will have to face Him, look into His eyes, and speak. Now, I don't want to go too far outside of what the Bible's showing us, but I look at it this way. You're going to speak to Him. You're going to see Him. You're going to know He's my Savior. He's God. And He's going to say, why why did you do this? You know, I asked you at church. to. I wanted you to be involved. I gave you even a spirit gift to help your church teach. Use your ability. And and you just decided, I'm 70 let the young people, why did you do that? I gave you a healthy body and a good mind as a mature Christian. You're not going to go, oh, I'm so ashamed. He's going to say, look at me. 
talk to. It's an oral exam. In a way, I wish it wasn't. Now, this may be the first time you've ever heard this. And God knows my heart. I'm not making this up, brethren. I showed you from God's Word. Not to threaten you. i got to go through the same thing. But to say, hey, folks, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, are we ready? Are you preparing today? Listen, not all believers are going to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No. There are going to be believers. Yes, they're saved, but they're not going to hear that. Not all believers are going to have treasure in heaven. When the Lord walked on the earth, He told His disciples in Matthew 6, 19, don't, be careful, don't you lay up treasures on earth where moss and rust doth corrupt, thieves break through and steal. Make sure you take your Christian life and treasure up treasures in heaven. Listen, some believers just don't listen. Not all believers will have the same authority in Christ's kingdom. In Luke 19, when he told the parable of the kingdom, he said some of those with him in his kingdom who are saved aren't going to have any rights or authority. They're just going to be there. The tangible results of those who have faithfully served Christ in this life and those who have it will be evident for eternity. John said in Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man... Take thy crown. And again, the Apostle John in 2 John 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. There's a story and account of two farmers that owned farms side by side in Iowa. One was a bitter atheist. The other was a very devout Christian. Constantly annoyed at the Christian for his trust in God. One winter, the atheist came to his neighbor and said, Hey, let's plant the same crops as usual this spring. But this time, let's plant the same number of acres. You go ahead and pray to your God, and I'm going to curse God. Then come harvest, let's see who has the bigger crop. When October came, the atheist was delighted because his crop was larger. See, you fool, he taunted. What do you have to say for your God now? My God, replied the Christian farmer, doesn't settle all his accounts in October. Listen, tonight, don't miss church. I want to encourage you with what God's encouraged me about this COVID craziness. There's never been a time in my short life, and really in the short life of you oldest people here, We've watched America transform and change. And it's not going to go back. Whatever the new normal is, it won't be the normal of our generation. So what does that mean about being a Christian? It means it's an incredibly wonderful time to live Christ. Do you realize the people of this part of Nevada are so scared? They're more scared than they've ever been. Wouldn't it be awesome if God could use people, just simple people like us, who go through hard times, who get the cancer or the COVID, and they hear you say, praise the Lord. Unfortunately, many times we Christians get kind of caught up and say things and we worry. That's what I was going to preach this morning. But God laid this on my heart for you to be an encouragement. We're all going to take an exam, a final exam. Number two, we're all going to be examined the same way. Number three, we're all going to get a final grade. Let's prepare now. Heavenly Father, I thank You for